podcast was produced on Ghana Yurta. We respect First Nations people around Australia and acknowledge the Ghana people as the traditional custodians of the Adelaide Plains, where the Festival Centre is located. We honour their spiritual relationship with their country and we do so in the spirit of reconciliation. A theatre comparable to any in the world. Pretty strong dreaming for a city the size of ours, but a dream that nevertheless has come true. The Festival Theatre, largest of the three auditorium $14 million complex, seats 2,000, has dressing room facilities for a cast of up to 120 performers and boasts a stage with floor area five times larger than that of the Opera Theatre in the Sydney Opera House. On the 2nd of June, 1973, the banks of the River Torrens crackled with energy. The city of Adelaide was caught in the midst of a heavy rainstorm, but that didn't stop thousands of excited theatre-goers from making their maiden pilgrimage along North Terrace and King William Street towards the brand new Adelaide Festival Centre. The champagne flowed freely as droves of celebrities, politicians and international dignitaries took in the full magnificence of the city's new stage. The handsome red curtain, rows upon rows of plush maroon seats and smiling usherettes who steered audience members to their seats. Amongst the bubbling conversation and electric atmosphere that night were two people who would play key roles in the Festival Centre's story. The first was a man who had only arrived in Adelaide the year before, having left his job as Head of Programming for London's Southbank Concert Hall after a 15-minute conversation with the then South Australian Premier, Don Dunstan. When he moved his life across the globe in 1972, Anthony Steele had never run a theatre before. But that didn't stop him from leaving an indelible mark on South Australia's arts and cultural identity as artistic director of the Adelaide Festival and the first general manager of the Adelaide Festival Centre. I always said that during the festival, my job was completely different because running the festival, to me, meant confronting audiences. Whereas during the rest of the year, it meant providing to audiences what they wanted because it's their theatre. As Anthony Steele showed then Prime Minister Gough Whitlam to his seat on that grand opening night, Another individual who would go on to lead the festival centre was waiting in the wings, ready to perform in Beethoven's Fidelio Opera. Douglas Gautier was an art student at Flinders University at the time, but today he is the centre's CEO, responsible for its artistic direction and continued service to the South Australian public as a bastion for the arts, culture and performance. One of the things we've learned from Anthony is that the place should be program-led. And that's how he started off with it, with just such wonderful programming that has stayed with us and for future generations for many years. Okay, it's time to dig out your party hats and pull on your dancing shoes because in 2023, the Adelaide Festival Centre is turning 50 years old and we're celebrating by diving deep into its glittering history. You'll be learning from the first and the current leaders of the Festival Centre, as well as some of your favourite actors, musicians, performers and creatives who have had their lives and careers shaped by this space and its captivated audiences. Hey Adelaide, Jimmy Barnes here. Oh honey, it's Hans International Superstar. My name is Katie Aspel. Hi, I'm Peter Gers. Hi, I'm Wilsey. My name is Satomi Onishi. Chris Drummond. Michael Griffiths. Johanna Allen with a heart. I'm Jane Doyle. Hi, I'm Paul Bassler. I'm Miranda Starkey. Starmy M here. Hi, it's David Campbell. Hi, it's Teresa Palmer here. Oh, hello, I'm Heather Blewett. 
Join us as we celebrate 50 years of flashing lights and thunderous applause, overtures and encores, rising stars and falling curtains. 50 years of opening nights, parties till dawn, green romantic stage door encounters, backstage whispers and roaring successes. World-class stages, five crowd-pleasing festivals, 152 stars on the Walk of Fame, scores of precious memories and one centre where it all comes together in the heart of Adelaide. My name is Libby O'Donovan and I've had the pleasure of performing at the Adelaide Festival Centre for over 25 years. And you're listening to The First 50 Podcast, celebrating 50 years of this festival state and its beloved Festival Centre. Welcome, Douglas and Anthony. Thank you, Libby. I'd love to talk to you about that first night, the gala performance. You were both there, which is incredible to have you both here again 50 years on. What was the feeling like? What was the buzz like? And and how did it feel to know that we were launching something so significant in not only South Australia's history, but also Australia's history, being the first lyric theatre in the whole of Australia? Well, I think you better ask Douglas because I was so desperately nervous the whole day. The only thing I can remember is that Tom Brown, the theatre consultant to the architects, who later became a great friend of mine, said to me, what are you going to eat today? And I said, I can't think about that. And he said, well, what if I have some sandwiches in your office at six o'clock? I said, that would be wonderful. I arrived in my office, there was pâté de foie, there was caviar, there was champagne. I burst into tears. Yeah. <laughs> There's no doubt about it that the evening went extraordinarily well. I think the only... I can think of two things that didn't go well. One was that it was pouring with rain when Whitlam arrived, and so we had to take him round to the um, artist's entrance. This building, this magnificent achievement, will be a source of great pride to the people of South Australia and the city of Adelaide and the thousands who in the coming years will come here to enjoy this complex and all the arts which are here performed. Yes. And the second was that the young man working the lighting board had a bit of a fit halfway through and for about five minutes the lighting was um, two seconds behind but nobody noticed. Oh, that sounds like theatre. Sounds like the perfect start to a theatre. Mr Chairman, Mr Premier and Lord Mayor, I have much pleasure in now declaring open the Adelaide Festival Theatre. Once I'd seen Whitlam back to his seat after interval, I ducked backstage and joined the chorus, joined the tenors for the Beethoven Ninth. And I should quickly explain the reason for that programming. What we were trying to do, and succeeded, I must say, entirely in doing, was showing the place off in its very first night as both opera house and concert hall. Mm. So the interval was longer than usual. Nobody minded because they were all drinking free champagne anyway. But during that time, an army of first stagehands who one normally could never afford were working to change it from Opera House to Concert Hall. And then just as a matter of luck, we showed it off as a drama theatre the following day because the Royal Shakespeare Company was touring Australia with... Um, Midsummer Night's Dream. With a Midsummer Night's Dream. And... The producers didn't intend to include Adelaide in the itinerary. I was able to assure them that even if nobody wanted to see Midsummer Night's Dream, everybody wanted to see their new theatre. And so they capitulated and they played to pretty full houses throughout the week. And Douglas, what about you on that first night? How did that feel? You were a performer. Yeah, well, I was at the other end of the line. I was a student at Flinders University and for 
the performance that night was uh, broken into two halves. If I recall, I think Fidelio, the second half of Beethoven's only opera, uh, was in the first half and then uh, Beethoven ninth in the second. And so there was a part in the second half of the opera which uh, in that act doesn't sing but utters a few lines of German and uh, so I was uh, picked out of the line. So anyway, for me, of course, it was a huge thrill and something that I never, ever forgot and two performances of it and uh, the opening night and the following night and people who were in that opera cast, some great singers like Neil Warren Smith and Nance Grant and Ronald Dowd, people whom I remain friends with really for the rest of their working life, I guess, a great conductor in the pit, Georg Tintner, and something that I suppose from a young person's point of view, I was totally overawed by it, but it also gave me a great sense of occasion and something that has stayed with me for the rest of my life and I suppose in many ways imbued uh, my hopes and aspirations for it coming back to it as uh, a CEO and artistic director, uh, you know, almost 35 years later. I think it's wonderful that you talk about your experience as a young man shaping the rest of your life, that those two nights in the theatre being so instrumental to the way that you've obviously continued um, being a director of festivals and working in the arts since then. And indeed for so many children who perform here at the Festival Centre, uh, there's so many primary school programs and children's programs and, of course, the what was formerly known as Come Out Festival, now Dream Big Festival. For many children, this centre is the first introduction to arts and theatre mm. that they get and it does stay with them for the rest of their lives. I wanted to know to that point where both of you started as children, like what influenced you to be involved in the arts? Douglas? Primarily music, I think. I uh, studied classical guitar with Joan Smythe, who was, I think, one of the first female teachers at the con. She had been a pupil of Segovia. Still, I still have the photo on my desk. Pretty soon I graduated, well not graduated, but branched out into playing uh, pop music as well. But I think a love of music very strongly and right from the get-go, my parents had always bought me subscriptions to youth concerts, the Adelaide Symphony Orchestra. Mm. So a broad love of music. But then when I went to university, and bear in mind it was during the 70s, not only did we have anti-Vietnam War demonstrations, but we also had a tremendous sense of optimism, I think particularly under Don Dunstan and others in terms of the role and the possibilities of arts and culture in society. And, you know, at Flinders University, they had just started a, a drama department. I think it was the first drama department in the uh, in the country, uh, as far as university is concerned, while Cherry was the first director. And so, and he brought uh, with him a, a, a really wonderful array of, of international people, film directors and movement teachers and others, dramaturgs, etc. So the possibilities were terrific and and one felt that uh, uh, this was really doing something worthwhile. So I think there was a particular feeling at that time in Adelaide about the possibilities of creative arts. And so uh, that you know, led from that university into uh, into this place. At the time, uh, State Theatre Company was run by uh, a guy called George Ogilvie, who was uh, not only a great theatre director, he was an opera director as well. He was also a film director. I think he directed one of the Mad Maxes early on, a great actor's director. And so there seemed the, the world was our oyster in, in many respects, and there was a great enthusiasm for it at that time in particular. So I think though all those things combined to attracting me to this field. And you, Anthony, where did your love for the arts come from? It's very hard for me to answer that quickly, but I'll try. I was working for my family's steel firm, which was extremely large. It employed 40,000 people, and my father had been the boss of it, but he just died. And I dropped into the firm because I knew it was there. I hated it immediately, but I was working in the northwest of England at one of our factories and became friends with 
a most wonderful Hungarian refugee who moved up there and built a little theatre in his um, garden. Mm. And after one of the performances, I went into the house and had dinner. And then he and I were the only two people left into about our fourth cognac when he said, you know, I'm a chairman of the London Mozart players. And I said, yes, I did know that, Mickey. And he said, their administration is in an awful mess. Do you know anyone who would like to run them? And I said, yes, I would. And 40,000 employees of United Steel thought I'd gone completely mad. And a month later, that's what I was doing. What age was that, Anthony? Oh, goodness. Early 30s, I suppose. Early 30s. And then I stayed in musical administration in different places in London right up until the time I came to Adelaide. What prompted you to and inspired you to leave England and to come to Adelaide to be the general manager and artistic director of the Adelaide Festival Centre? I was working for the London Symphony Orchestra, not enjoying it because I had a lousy boss. And it was a long story again, but the short version is that this place was looking for uh, its first general manager, though it wasn't open yet. And also, it turned out the festival was looking for a new director too. And I went, was walking over Waterloo Bridge from the Festival Hall where I was working then and to the Strand to meet with Don Dunstan. And on my way over, I said, quite against anything I'd ever been told, that um, if I'm going to go all that way to a place I've never heard of, I want both jobs. <laughs> and within 15 minutes of meeting me, he'd agreed. That's the sort of man he was. It didn't take long to take a decision. And for some reason, I'd known him for ooh, at least 20 minutes by then. <laughs> for some reason, I trusted him implicitly, and that's what happened. I think one of the things that strikes you is that, big as it is from the outside, one doesn't have any conception of it, the immensity of this theatre until you come in. I think it's a marvelous You know, there's a idea. warmth about this theatre too. I think mm. it's the wood that's been introduced mm. into it and that lovely curtain. No, I think it's a lovely I think theater. it's the most splendid place Adelaide's ever seen. And When it opened in 1973, the Adelaide Festival Centre was Australia's first capital city arts venue, opening a whole four months before the Sydney Opera House. It was an idea born from a Liberal government and grown into fruition under the leadership of Don Dunstan in the 1960s. The goal was to put Adelaide and its fledgling Adelaide Festival on the world stage by building a stage that could truly do it all. And it saw scores of people from Adelaide, South Australia and beyond stream through its doors, ready to be challenged and delighted in ways they never thought possible. Did you ever visit the Adelaide Festival Centre as a kid? Did I? My earliest memory was when my mum took me to a children's ballet at the Playhouse. I remember going with my dad and my stepmom. We used to see operas there. I think probably one of my earliest is coming to the Dream Big Festival as a child and seeing just kids everywhere. And I was sitting in one of the seats at the very edge and I could see into the wings. So I could see people starting to prepare before they came on stage. I think my very first memory here, I was about year six and we came here for like a huge choir event. I remember seeing Macbeth in Russian. I saw the first kids show that was ever put on here, uh, the Winnie the Pooh. It was the most wonderful thing I ever saw. Over my head. And it was magical. And I caught the magic and that was that. Given the huge and long-lasting impact the Festival Centre has had on so many lives, I'd love to ask Anthony and Douglas how they decided on the direction that this artistic landmark should be steered in. What kind of vision did you see for this whole establishment for it to have so many different areas and the amphitheatre, of course? 
Yeah, I'm glad you added that because I always enjoyed the amphitheatre. I thought it was a great space. It was used very successfully during a few of the festivals. It's a hard question to answer. I mean, that was one's job, really, mm. to make certain that the four or at least three the spaces were filled with... I always said that during the festival, my job was completely different because running the festival, to me, meant confronting audiences, whereas during the rest of the year, it meant providing to audiences what they wanted because it's their theatre. And that was my programming attitude, really, for both of those. got me into terrible trouble, particularly the festival one. When you say you had some... I guess, pushback. Was that from audiences or was it from critics or was it just a general sort of pushing the boundaries that art often does? It was pretty much everybody, <laughs> um, particularly critics, I would say. <laughs> I brought the Merce Cunningham Dance Company, which I had known in London and absolutely adored, and I brought that to Adelaide and people couldn't cope with it. Critics couldn't cope with it at all. Words to this effect, as boring and pointless as watching paint dry. <laughs> One of the very great modern dance companies in the world. Yes, I know. And there, was, there were other headlines like, Will Don's dream be a nightmare? <laughs> <laughs> it must have been tricky sometimes, though, to keep pushing forward because you had this great vision for what this could provide, and indeed it is the, the heartbeat of South Australia's cultural voice here. It must have been hard to keep pushing forward. I came out of being interviewed on a television program in which I'd been pretty rude about some of the critics. It's always the critics. And I went into the hospitality room to find the telephones buzzing. So I answered one of them. And the woman said, would you please tell Mr. Steele to take one month's notice? I said, certainly, madam, and hung up. <laughs> and, Douglas, I'd love to chat to you about this now. I mean, when you came to be the CEO and artistic director, you must have taken a little bit of advice from every former managing director, CEO, artistic director that has been here at the Festival Centre. What kind of influence has Anthony had on you and the way that you conduct yourself in this role? Well, I think in lots of ways. I mean, because the, one of the things we've learned from Anthony is that the place should be program-led. And that's how he started off with it, with just such wonderful programming that has stayed with us and for future generations for many years. And uh, for me, there is no question that that approach in terms of programming and being a program-led organisation has always been paramount in my mind and I always, and our staff and, and our associates always like to look back to that time and thinking, well, it, it set out as it meant to be and there was one person driving that very definitively at that time and it was Anthony. I mean, there are all sorts of things that have happened in between good people and uh, so forth and so on, different different views on how it ought to be run, etc. But my overwhelming view of other art centres around the world, which I would regard as successful, it comes back to that program-led approach. So I think Anthony's achievement in opening the place and setting the standards has always been uppermost in my mind in terms of how we take the place forward and how we organise ourselves and how we think about it as a creative organisation. While the place was still being built, I remember, we discovered that not enough money had been put on one side for the fly lines in this theatre. And I was the one who was deputed to go and tell Dunstan that we needed another 150,000, which was a lot of money in those days. Mm. So off I went, and he said, yes, what, why have you come to see me? And I told him he didn't interrupt at all except, but yes, yes, 
Yes, like this. And when I'd finished, he looked up from his desk and he said, Cabinet meets on Monday. You should get the money by the end of next week. That's exactly what happened. And that's such an important part of the arts. It's just the reality of the arts in any society, really, is the backing of our politicians or our city councils. Certainly. When I was reading about the building, the construction of the Adelaide Festival Centre, I read an article that was saying that the city council at that time was looking to cut corners and trying to push an idea of, well, do you really need dance flooring? Can't we just have concrete floors? And do you really need hot water in the foyer and the dressing rooms? Can't you just have cold water? I mean, it takes someone with great visionary leadership to be able to say, this is worth it and it's worth the money. Quite right. Douglas, I'd love to ask you a similar question about what brought you here, what made you decide, yes, this is a place I'd love to come back to, to Adelaide and to take this position? Well, certainly it goes back to, some of it goes back to that opening night because, as I said, it stayed with me for many years. And when I looked at all other uh, developments, particularly in Asia-Pacific where there are lots of theatres being built and um, uh, lots of cultural complexes, but somehow the germ of the idea or the optimism and the energy of this place opening back in 1973 was something that I'd always cherished. And uh, so when the job came up, I was running the Hong Kong Arts Festival. I had family ties here and talking to the, the then Premier Mike Gran and others. Um, I'd been sitting on the state tourism board here. I was coming back from Hong Kong every three or four months to sit on the board, etc. So I'd become interested in South Australia again and Adelaide. And Mike was the arts minister, and I and he had, of course, been Dunson's press secretary. So he was concerned that the organisation and the complex perhaps needed to revisit its programmatic approach Certainly uh, did. and its connections internationally and its place within the community as a, as a creative hub. And what would that mean and what do you need to do both locally and internationally? So all of those things, I mean, I always like a challenge, and but I did feel real affection, and I still do, obviously, affection for the place and what it does and what it stands for and what it can do. But, of course, in a very different time because you know, 35 years or whatever it was, 40 years, it, it had moved on. Uh, the community had moved on and the responsibilities uh, are somewhat different. Some of them remain the same, intrinsic you know, responsibilities and initiatives, but I felt, well, here's an opportunity to really make some changes here, get some good people around me and look at what's possible. And, and I think in particular... Those connections with Asia, obviously, I spent close to 30 years living in Asia, and I am a very strongly connected with that region culturally and professionally, and it seemed to me that that's a huge opportunity. We are part of that region, and yet there is very little reflection of it culturally. Mm. But things have changed, you know, because even in the last 10 years, Asia in Australia is, is a major factor. So all sorts of things that I saw potential and opportunity, and it was and is a labour of love for me, really. Mm. So what I would say is one of the great attractions and pleasures of working in this environment with this organisation is that it is not only the place, but what it does and what it presents and its relationship to artists and audiences mm. is greatly cherished locally. Now, that changes as we move through, as I've already said, but it's still so important. From the very beginning, the Adelaide Festival Centre was a theatre for the people, and that's reflected in the ways that both Anthony and Douglas have approached their time at the helm here. The Adelaide Festival Centre has always taken a program-led approach to its roster of performances. You may have seen the brilliant Peter Allen, the acclaimed Bangara Dance Company, or a Tony Award-winning musical theatre production. No matter what ticket you held, you could rest assured that you were the beneficiary of an active and driven voice for the arts in South Australia. 
This has seen the Adelaide Festival Centre become a place that South Australians regard with pride. To this day, it maintains its status as a national arts icon. Do you remember the first time you performed at the Adelaide Festival Centre? Yeah, I, I think a few years back at the Asia Pacific Conference held here because not only being my first time performing here, but I got to do a, a First Nations exchange as well. Absolutely, primary school choir yeah. and it was very exciting. I was very lucky to perform as a walk-on role in the Australian Ballet's 21st birthday performance of Swan Lake. Prime Minister Bob Hawke was even here. I performed in uh, other cabaret festival. That helped me to boost my career as a drummer. We did a show called Days Morrow where we took all the seating out and the floor was covered in grass, the entire ceiling was a canvas sky and the audience sat around a clearing while the Zephyr Quartet played in the middle oh, yeah. and the actors wandered around them. Many years ago when Colchester were a young band and we were the opening act for a fantastic band from California called Little Feet and this was the first chance that we'd ever got to play in the festival centre. I know I work as a singer but it might surprise people to know that I had a prestigious brief career as a recorder player. Why are venues like the Adelaide Festival Centre important? Especially for the upcoming event with involving First Nations people, it's good to create that safe cultural space. I think if a city doesn't have a cultural heartbeat, it loses its humanity. Oh, because they give opportunity to bring arts and culture to, you know, to all. They are genuinely the gathering space of a community, aren't they? You know, it's, it's ancient, ancient stuff that human beings need to do to come together and share stories. The Adelaide Festival Centre has always been the place through which Adelaide audiences have been connected to the world through the arts. And it does so in a way that is not always confined to the bounds of its stages. The festivals that are produced by the Adelaide Festival Centre, like the Ausasia Festival, Dream Big Festival, the Guitar Festival, the Cabaret Festival and our mob festival. Mm. I think all of those are part of what helps to create the community to continue to come to this place as the cultural heartbeat. Well, it's called the Festival Centre. It's not called the Adelaide Arts Centre. It's called the Festival Centre. Mm. And, of course, that was originally highly important and continues to be with, with the Adelaide Festival. But this city is very good at producing festivals and uh, you can draw comparisons to other cities around the world that aren't capital cities but have uh, have a geographical and creative capability of presenting festivals well. So I think we, we do have a reputation nationally for that and we do have a reputation internationally. So one of the problems coming back as soon as I arrived was, in fact, the theatres were quite dark for a lot of the time. So we had to prime the pump. So it seemed to me, well, let's create, we had Cabaret Festival and that was being run very well, but we wanted to bring artists in to, to lead it. But then we needed, I felt, to create festivals which were for the 21st century. Ausasia is an example, our mob. I think Guitar Festival, particularly under that UNESCO City of Music uh, mm. uh, umbrella, and of course bringing in Come Out, which became Dream Big, which if you look at our education and young people's programs, I still feel when I look across with a competitive eye, I suppose, to the other centres in Australia, I have no no doubt that our centre ed program, our work with over 400 schools a year, teachers, outreach programs, mm. and sitting in the middle of it, Dream Big, is superior to any of those centres. And it's important, going back to the point that I was making before, in terms of, you know, perpetuating that alignment and loyalty and buy-in with the community because it starts when some kids are five years old mm. and it lasts until they're 75. It absolutely does. There are so many people that talk about their very first experience with the primary school music festival or, you know, coming to see something that they've seen, like a musical production that might be on or a play or something their school has come Correct. and bought, you know, school tickets for and they never stop coming. Once you're in, it seems... It's almost addictive. That's right. And, I, and, and it's our responsibility to make sure that it stays that way. Anthony, you really pushed those boundaries artistically. For you, was that 
part of you opening up the Adelaide audience to a more global awareness of the art world? Oh, very much so, yes, particularly during the festival. That's the point of, of, of an arts fest, a grown-up arts festival that, that tries to cover everything that's vi- vibrant at the time. Mm. Can I ask, I mean, it might be hard to answer this, but I'd love to know some of your favourite productions that you that you brought here and when you were... Um... No, that is impossible. It would be. They're, they're, all, they're all my favourites, except the two or three that were notable failures. <laughs> Artistically. Artistically, yeah. Okay, we'll just put them all down as your favourites then. Yeah. What about you, Douglas? Have you got some favourites? I think one of the things I, I really loved was we did a Beethoven cycle with the Australian Youth Orchestra and it won a number of LPA awards, Helpman Awards, and quite rightly because mm. this is an orchestra that is just full of life and vigour, kids sitting on the edge of their seats playing their hearts out, and it was remarkable to hear it in this venue. It certainly uh, was. It, it was just a great experience, and I'll, I'll never forget that. In fact, Colin Cornish, you know, was heading up the AYO at that stage, and we worked very closely with him. He's now heading up our orchestra, just a great music administrator who I, I you know, very much uh, in awe of. So that was important. And the, and, and the same year, we also won a helpman for Oz Asia, and uh, mm-hmm. it was uh, a concert of Australian composers who had been resident in Asia or taken Asian themes for, for their work. It was a beautiful concert with many of the fine musicians uh, in in the city, but it was a you know a really cross cultural approach, and it was a wonderful concert. I think Ozasia always ticks boxes for me. Some wonderful performances from people like you know Slava Gregorian, and I think when we look back on all of those directors of the Cabaret Festival, uh, all of them different. Alan Cumming, you know, Kate, David, Barry Humphreys, all remarkable in in their own. Way and so that artist-led approach um, always thrills me when I see great work with different ideas we wouldn't have thought of that those collaborations bring to this place, bring to the stage, bring to audiences. That is always thrilling. Mm. I love that and I love that you talk about the importance of artist-led approach. I mean, both of you have had that injection of artistry in your own personal lives, which I think has helped to bring, you know, such a vision and such great vision and, you know, expansive vision to the Adelaide Festival Centre as a whole. Because if you were pure administrative geniuses, it would be administrative. But the fact that it has an artistic flair and has had from the very beginning uh, in 1973 with Anthony at the helm, I mean, I think it's evident that that legacy has carried on. And it is. He set the standard. I, I do believe that. And I mean, you can tell from the work that was being brought here straight away. And there's articles about Adelaide responding to that and saying, oh, I'm not sure I'd go to the theatre, but I'll definitely go and see. And then they name something that was coming that they don't associate with theatre, but they would go to. And I think that that has continued on as well. And indeed, this space in this building, personally, I've performed in areas that aren't called performance spaces like the JB room or for a while in the catacombs when like some of the offices in the dungeons downstairs were a few festoon lights around the poles and a a red drape and there you have a whole performance space that wasn't expected. I think those kinds of innovative things have been really fabulous as well for this centre. Yeah, that's the organ. I think that's a creative organisational approach. You have people and people within the organisation, artists such as yourselves, you know, have a can-do approach. Let's do it a different way. Let's think that way. Let's not necessarily think that we have to be, uh, you know, dragooned into doing it traditionally or whatever. And that's that's what I love about the job every day. You know, people come into AusAsia or, or our mob or, or Set Ed or any of the festivals and they've got different ideas. No, look, that's interesting that you've done it that way in the past, but let's do it this way now. Let's try that. That's the fascination and that's the energy. That's the spark, you know. The beauty of the Adelaide Festival Centre is that no matter who you are or what's going on in your life, 
As soon as you walk through those doors, you are transported to another place. Here, amongst the rows of plush red seats, audiences feel a connection to distant lands, different times, new ideas, new cultures, enticing characters and engrossing stories. And as we watch, dance and sing along to what we see on stage, we are welcomed to learn more about ourselves and the ways in which we experience life. What's your favourite thing about performing? It's the sharing. Of course it's sharing. It's the moment you sing something and you hear the silence around you. Mm. You hear everyone captured and lost in what you've collectively made together. Before I sing, I like to explain a little bit of backstory behind my music and I just love the feeling it gives me. It's so immersive, you know, I'm able to put my full spirit into it. When I'm out on stage, it comes out. The thing I love the most about the theatre is that it is never the same one night from the next. So I love the fact that it's constantly evolving. You get to go into space with, with people and have the most amazing conversations about what it is to be human. You just laugh so hard and then you, you can be in tears the next moment. Tell us about your favourite Adelaide Festival Centre memory. I reckon hanging out with Alan Cumming for the cabaret. I remember the first time I came out, I did Madonna in 2011 and I got to do a little preview on the piano and as soon as I sat down to be on a full-size grand in an actual venue, it's just magic. I distinctly remember deciding that I wanted to be a performer. It was 42nd Street, I was about five rows back, sitting with my grandparents and my parents and Kurt went up one foot and I saw everyone tap dancing and I thought, I'm going to do that. And I was the last one in the theatre and every night I used to have to walk across that stage and I used to stand in the middle of the stage and I just absolutely loved it. My favourite memory would have to be standing on the stage singing with my baby son cradled in my arms as part of A Christmas Morning Melodies 28 years ago. There is so much richness to the Festival Centre, both in its history and the collective memories of those who have watched, worked and performed here. As we celebrate its 50th year, I want to know where Anthony and Douglas see the Adelaide Festival Centre moving into the future. It is bricks and mortar, but within bricks and mortar, of course, all sorts of artistic things can happen and have happened over the last 50 years. What do you think you would like to see for the next 50? Well, I do believe that creative hub, the people, the artists, the audiences, all of those connections, they're absolutely essential. I mean, the bricks and mortar, of course, but they're only a means to an end. They can be a very valuable means to an end, and we've talked about this place, we've talked about the match, but that creative impetus and I think it does, it revolves around the festivals, it revolves around the home companies that are here, it revolves around our connections with commercial productions as well. You know, it's a balance. But at the very heart of it is that belief in Adelaide as a creative hub. I think it's our international connections. You know, we, we chair the Asia Pacific Art Centres Association. I think there are 80 centres across Asia Pacific. There are a lot of festivals involved in that. We look at joint committees missions, etc. And the reason that we chair that organisation is because this centre is respected. It's not to do with one person, it's to do with the track record, what we do, our aspirations, the festivals we deliver, ethos, our way of connecting with interns from Japan, Hong Kong, etc. and reverse flow. Because there is a belief in the importance of creative arts in this city, not only because of its intrinsic worth, but because of its social benefits above and beyond all of that. So all of those things that you bring together with the aspirations for this place, this is the crucible for it, but you, we can never take it for granted. We have to keep reinvesting in that creative impetus because that's what brings these venues to life. Yes, and there's a whole community of that, I think, that's that's here in the Festival Centre. In fact, from, you know, from the ushers to the, you know, biggest world star that's ever stood on this stage, there is a sense of community 
that's created, I think, here. There absolutely is. And, you know, we talk about the artists and audiences, but, you know, when it comes to front of house, when it comes to technicians, when it comes to people who are looking at food and beverage, the team spirit is remarkable. And it doesn't operate well without any of them playing their part. And mm. they do because they love the place. Yeah. And one of the great group of people that I love, apart from all the staff that contribute in their own way and always with enthusiasm and with great spirit, are the volunteers. Mm. So the volunteers, you know, have been with us for many years and they come and they go, and but they come from all walks of life. They love this place and they like to share that love with, with audiences. It's just typical of that esprit de corps that we have for the place that these people come in and continue and have contributed over many years to, to make a great contribution to this place. Yeah, I agree. There was a an article headline from the 1973 gala inaugural gala performance that said, speeches short but sweet, and I wondered, will that be the same for the 50th celebration gala performance? <laughs> <laughs> no, Auntie and I have decided to rattle on for a <laughs> 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 Look, I, I think it will be short and sweet. But in particular, to underpin our 50th concert will be a remarkable exhibition called Turn Up Your Radio, uh, which was the title of a Master's Apprentice's number. But it, uh, what it will do is document and, uh, and set out the history of pop music in, in Adelaide over the last 50 years. And we've had some extraordinary things sent to us, various bands and individuals and players who made up that 50-year history will be very well represented in our foyers. So it's going to be a great uh, accompaniment to that concert and yet another ingredient that says, well, Adelaide, for very good reason, is Australia's only UNESCO city of music. I was about to say, I'm just trying to find the name of your band, The Retrospectives. Will there be anything about The Retrospectives? Was that your band? Yeah, I doubt that there will be. I'll try and keep it as low-key as possible. <laughs> Thank you, Libby. <laughs> it used to be my band, but as I got older and my fingers are less dexterous, we actually played in guitars in bars because we didn't, this was about six, seven years ago, because we didn't think we were going to get anyone, uh, but of course we did, but we'd already signed up to it. So all these old codgers came together so to play again. We went down to Derringer's to rehearse, you know, yeah. and the and the lady at the desk, as we walked in, very unimpressed with all these old, old blokes, she said, what is this, Dad's Army? <laughs> <laughs> so I was standing up the back, very nervous, and I mean, I still love to play. It's fun. It won't be prominent in the celebrations, I can assure you. <laughs> it's, it's a really exciting time to be celebrating the 50th anniversary of this incredible centre, the Fest Adelaide Festival Centre, globally recognised and locally loved. So thank you both. Thank so you. Where do you see somewhere like the Adelaide Festival Centre? Where do you see in the future in another 50 years? More cabarets, more like concerts, more music, just involve, involving our First Peoples. One day my biggest dream is to see a First Nations cabaret. I hope that the Adelaide Festival Centre in 50 years is a pioneer for children's theatre. Well, I hope it doesn't change too much. I also hope it stays a kind of labour-intensive old school, you know. That to me is what's magic about theatre is that as much as we sort of keep up with the modern world, there is an, a nod to the old world. Bring every age, particularly children, teenagers, into the world of live music to see the joy that it brings. I hope that the Adelaide Festival Centre becomes a teacher for the other theatres to encourage younger generations to keep going to the theatre and keep it affordable for people that otherwise can't afford to take their children to the theatre. Because if kids don't go to the theatre, then they won't go when they're older and their children won't go. Happy birthday, happy 50th Adelaide Festival Centre. I absolutely adore you. Adelaide Festival Centre, you're 50 years old. Such a privilege to be part of it and I wish you a very happy birthday. I want to wish the Adelaide Festival Centre a happy 50th birthday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Adelaide Festival Centre for 50 years. Happy birthday, Festival Centre and the Festival Theatre especially. Happy birthday to the 
Adelaide Festival Centre for 50 years. You are the catalyst for my life. I came here as a little girl and I caught the magic. And from that moment on, it was what I wanted to do with my life. Happy birthday, Adelaide Festival Centre. Happy 50th birthday. It's been wonderful working here and I hope there's many, many, many more years. To the Adelaide Festival Centre, everyone that goes to see the shows and everyone that works there, happy 50th anniversary. Really happy to wish the Adelaide Festival Centre a happy 50th birthday. And may you continue to encourage young artists like you did myself. Happy birthday to the Adelaide Festival Centre, 50 years. The golden anniversary, you get gold this year. Happy birthday, Adelaide Festival Centre. You're a golden gem and you'll be here for another 50 years yet. I'm wishing you all the best and I hope you have a very happy birthday. Thank you so much for a lifetime of inspiration and here's to another 50. South Australia loves you and there's just not enough red roses and champagne to celebrate. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. I've had so much fun sharing memories of the Adelaide Festival Centre with Anthony Steele and Douglas Gaultier. Thank you to everyone who sat down with me to reminisce and reflect. When the Adelaide Festival Centre opened 50 years ago, our city was forever changed. It opened our eyes to the world, opened our minds to new forms of art and opened our hearts to the joy of live performance. Celebrate its 50th birthday with us in 2023 with a stellar lineup of acts, performances, festivals, and experiences set to dazzle your senses and ignite your imagination. Visit the Adelaide Festival Centre's website to view the whole catalogue of shows available. Whether you're a seasoned Festival Centre fan or if you've never set foot inside this fantastic venue, I can guarantee there is something there for everybody. Happy birthday, Adelaide Festival Centre. I'll see you there. If you enjoyed this audio experience, rate the podcast and share it with your friends and family so we can all enjoy the rich cultural experiences South Australia has to offer. I'm Libby O'Donovan, and you're listening to The First 50 Podcast, produced by Solstice Podcasting and the Adelaide Festival Centre.